morning. Glad you braved the snow to get here this morning. It's good to be together. I'm Tim, if we haven't met. And welcome once again to family service at North Sub. We do this when it's the fifth Sunday of the month. No matter how young or old you are, we're glad you're here. And uh, please don't think twice about any of this disruptions or noises. That's what family life in the body of Christ is all about. Amen. So uh, if you didn't get a kid's bulletin and you would like one, throw up a hand and Cliff and Alice are coming around with those. Uh, we'll get one to you. Let's pray before we open God's word together. Lord, you're big and you love us and that makes us glad. Now let the words that I say and let the thoughts we all think be pleasing in your sight. For Jesus' sake, amen. They don't write children's stories the way they used to. In some cases, it's probably a good thing. Some of the stories from my childhood, I want to pull out and read to my kids. Then I'm like, wait, what did Hansel and Gretel have to do to avoid being cannibalized? <laughs> Little Red Riding Hood kind of falls into that category. Who's ever heard the story of Little Red Riding Hood? Yeah, right. So at the climactic moment of the story, this girl, Little Red Riding Hood, is speaking with someone who's lying in bed sick. And she's trying to figure out, is this my sweet grandma I'm speaking to or a big bad wolf? Right. So she tries to reason it out. But what big ears you have? What big eyes you have? What big teeth you have? And some of us have maybe done some of that same sort of reasoning with respect to God. Here's what I mean. Okay, somewhere, somebody along the way told me that God is kind, loving, compassionate. But what about all these other stories I read when I open my Bible? Like, like, God, what big power you have? God, what big anger you have? And so, if you were here last week when we talked about God's holiness, we saw pretty conclusively, okay, this isn't sweet grandma we're talking about. So this week we need to flip to the other side of the coin and ask, so how do we know he's not the big bad wolf? Would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 33? you haven't already there are bibles in the seats in front of you the bible app that's great too if you're just joining us or if you're a guest of ours this morning we're preaching through what are sometimes called the attributes of god these aren't they're not traits that we attribute to god as much as they're things that he declares to be true about himself using our language that he's loving he's wise and like we saw last week he's holy right so kids downstairs in your kids classes you guys have been learning about some of these attributes too, right? So kids, anybody recognize what this picture represents? Self-sufficient. Well done. That's that God is self-sufficient. That's the little logo that you guys have been using to trigger that memory. Good. Let's try another one. Uh, what does this one say about God? He's what? All-powerful or omnipotent, right? Yeah, that's a tough word, omnipotent. All-powerful, that's right. And you guys, I think you've learned one more. Last week, you looked at this one. What's this one represent? Gracious. Well done, Colton. Gracious. God is gracious. Yeah, those are some of the attributes of God, some of his characteristics. And so this week, we're actually picking up right at the Bible verse where we left off here in big church last week. Right. So reminder... Uh, where we left off, Moses begged God, hey God, yes, we've rebelled against you. Yes, you've graciously promised to give us the promised land anyway. But please don't make us go to the promised land if you're not going to go with us. 
And God said, okay, I'll go with you after all. But will God really go with them? To Moses, and maybe to some of us as readers, it seems a little too good to be true. Like with, with how holy God is, this shouldn't actually work out for God to so closely accompany sinful people. So how do we know this isn't a big bad wolf situation, so to speak, where God's really just waiting to swallow them up? We're going to see today that the answer is wrapped up with an attribute of God called God's goodness. His goodness. A.W. Tozier had a, a quote that appropriately builds a bridge between last week's sermon and this one. He said, the greatness of God rouses fear within us, but his goodness encourages us not to be afraid of him. We're going to see that goodness in Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 to 23, or yeah, yeah, through 23. As we read, we'll see what we want God to show us, what God wants to show us, and how he wants to show it to us. I want, you, I want to alert you in advance that... Uh, Toward the end of this message, we'll make room for anyone of any age, actually, to share into a microphone how you've seen God's goodness at work recently for just a few minutes. So let that brainstorming kind of happen in the back of your mind. What we want God to show us is glory often. What we often want God to show us is glory. Take a look with me. God has just said, okay, Moses, I'll go with you after all. And then look what Moses says. Moses said, please let me see your glory. It's verse 18. Please let me see your glory. What's this glory that Moses wants to see? It's something that Moses has already seen some version of in the pillar of cloud that stood between the waters of the Red Sea, parting the way for Israel to cross. Moses also saw it in the terrifying lightning cloud up on the mountain that Moses entered and came out with a glowing face. In other words, Moses is saying, show me that again. Show me your presence manifested in this visual display of brightness and power and majesty. Why again? Why does he want that again? Well, seeing is believing, isn't it? Right? And so in the past, Moses has been like, God, I don't know if I can do this. And God's glory shows up and Moses realizes, okay, God really is going to bring us through this. But then those other times, Moses didn't ask for it, though. God just gave it. Right? Moses didn't ask for it, at least explicitly. God initiated. This time Moses is like, hey, can you do the glory thing again so that we can be sure you're really going to go with us? But to God, there's a, there's a problem with Moses' request. And it's this, that humans can't see God's face and live. That's verse 20 if you see it there in the text. God added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. Now, clarification, God is spirit, right? He's not embodied and so, as such, he doesn't actually have a face the way we think of a face. But this is him speaking to us in language that we can understand. So when he talks about his face, he's, that's his way of talking about the fullness of his unmediated glory. Right? In other words, if we were to ask God, God, show us the fullness of who you are with nothing between you and us, that would be us asking to see God's face, so to speak. And if that request were granted, we actually would be instantly incinerated by the brightness and purity and weight of God. And that's what God effectively says to Moses here. Hey, Moses, if that's what you're asking for, I'll never be able to give that to you. Even those times in the past when I gave you a cool experience of my glory, that wasn't all of me. That wasn't my face. But if God isn't going to show Moses the fullness of his glory and his face, what is God going to show Moses? 
what God wants to show Moses and to show us is his goodness. His goodness. Take a look. Verse 19. This is in response to Moses saying, show me your glory. God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. Again, it's not that God doesn't ever show humans his glory. A few times in history he has. It's just that when he does, it's what we might say is a mediated glory. And it's, it's also that that's not what he's most interested in showing us. He knows that what we need more than we need a glimpse of bright lightning and earthquakes and brilliant colors is we need insight into his character. More than bright lightning and earthquakes and brilliant colors, we need insight into his character, who he is. That's why he says, I'll cause all my goodness to pass before you. And that's why he immediately follows that with, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. In Jewish thinking, your name is supposed to capture your essence uh, and what you're like. So God says, what you need isn't my glory. What you need is to know what I'm like. What you need is to know my name and my goodness. Question, out of all the attributes that God could have picked, why does he pick goodness, right? Why couldn't he, theoretically, right, he could have said uh, in response to show me your glory, he could have said, I will cause all my power to pass before you. Or I will cause all my justice to pass before you. Why goodness? I'm inclined to think that it's because goodness is a broad category for God. And of course, all of God's attributes are interrelated with all the others, but it's particularly evident in Scripture how this attribute relates to so many others. Here's how Hermann Bavinck says it. He says, God's goodness is called long-suffering or forbearance when it's manifested to the guilty. God's goodness is called grace when it's manifested to those who receive the forgiveness of sins. It's called love when God, out of grace towards his creatures, shares himself with them. It's called loving kindness or mercy when this goodness of God is manifested to those who enjoy his favor and goodwill or good pleasure when this emphasis falls on the fact that the goodness and all its benefits are a free gift. In other words, you could say that God's goodness is like a doorway into all these other attributes of his through which we access so many of the named attributes of God in Scripture. There's a sense in which so many other attributes are God's goodness applied to different situations. In fact, the, the Bible speaks as though God is the standard by which we measure what is good. Didn't Jesus remind the rich young ruler God alone is good? God is all good. There's no shadow of anything not good in him. And as such, the question we often ask when trying to navigate life in this world, is this good, for example? Like, is it good to hang out with these friends? Is it good to use my money in this way? Is it good to prioritize this over that? All those is this good questions, really, uh, we should consider it as equivalent to the question, does God approve this? Whether God approves something is all that really matters. Because he's the standard. And that's why in the creation account, in Genesis 1 and 2, it doesn't just say that God created this and it was good. God created that and it was good. What does it say? It said God created this and he saw that it was good. He saw that that was good. Right? There's no standard of goodness outside of God that he's obligated to compare things to for evaluation purposes. Whether or not something is good has everything to do with whether or not he says it's good. So reflect on that with me for a moment. That means that God's goodness is not like human goodness. If any of us are good, and most of us aspire to be, our goodness isn't innate within us. 
It's an added-on quality for us, derived from God. Tomorrow, there's no reason we couldn't become more good or less good. Not so for God. For God, goodness isn't an add-on for when he's having a good day. It's essential to his nature. And the way he wants to show it to us is, is through his works. The way he wants to show it to us is through his works. <coughs> Take a look in verse 19 and following. Follow the flow with me. He says, I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you. How? Well, I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, before you. Well, what's that particular name supposed to communicate? Well, concretely, that name means, look, that I'll show grace to my people. That I'll show compassion to my people. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. In other words, if God's goodness is ever manifested in the showing of mercy and compassion, as it often is, it's not because God's arm has been twisted into being merciful and compassionate. Like, oh, I have to meet the standard of good. But rather, it's because he's chosen to show mercy and compassion. And show what he does. When this promise in chapter 33 comes true, a chapter later, and, and, and God does cause all his goodness to pass in front of Moses in chapter 34, here's the language that God uses. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with Moses there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. That's what he promised he would do. Then where's the goodness? Well, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, manifesting or maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. See how concrete God gets here about the works that he does? What's his goodness look like? He gives us very concrete pictures of acts, works that he does. And that scene in chapter 34 is God making good on this promise back in chapter 33. That he would do this. The Lord said, here's a place near me. You're to stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll take my hand away and you'll see my back, but my face will not be seen. Again, figurative language that Moses can understand. It's not that God actually has a hand to put on. But God's going to give Moses a glimpse of what we might call the trailing edge of his glory, right? Um, so Moses does get to see God's back, right? It is a sight of glory, like when Isaiah saw the hem of God's robe. But when you think about it, this right here isn't much more than what Moses has seen in the past. In those big moments of lightning and brilliance and flashes and, and a cloud, right? So if it's not what Moses saw in Exodus 33 and 34, that significantly revealing of God's character, what is it? I think it has to be what he heard. It has to be what he heard, what he learned through God's words, right? That's what Moses needed. I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I'll proclaim my name. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. That's what Moses needed, to hear even more than he needed to see. We have to imagine that after the fact Moses reflected on this experience, oh, I asked to be taught God's ways back in chapter 32, and he answered. I asked God to see his glory, chapter 33, and he answered through telling me about his works that reveal 
who he is. And that's corrective for us, maybe. Because here's what we're prone to pray, right? I'll speak for myself. This is what I'm prone to pray. God, would you please just part the Red Sea? Would you just show up in glory and just deliver me miraculously somehow? Rescue me from my problems, God, just all at once, please. And maybe God will. But I think what he's saying to somebody here this morning is, while I'm not about to rescue you from your problems right now, in some glorious display, I need you to remember that I am and always have been good. Do you believe me? And that's how God invites us to learn with Moses that the basis of our trust was never meant to be in these explosive, bright, luminescent moments, but rather in the concrete revelation of God's character through his works. Hey, as we're, as we're nearing a close here, I want to open up a couple mics now. So uh, we've got a couple people who are going to grab mics. So that we, we as a church family can give glory to God for this, right? And hey, as young or old, as we want to give a shot, no, no self-consciousness at all, let's mute the live stream just for a, a few minutes while we do this so people feel comfortable sharing. Um, we'll be back with you, those watching online, in a few minutes. But if God reveals his character through his works, what have you seen God do recently? Where have you seen his goodness? Just throw up a hand wherever you are, and one of these two mics will be brought to you, and you can just share real briefly with us about where you've seen God's goodness at work so we can be encouraged together about what we, where we've seen him working. Grown-ups you can share, kids you can share. Where have you seen God's goodness at work? Appreciate you all sharing. We can bring our friends online back with us and uh, unmute them. Uh, instead of basing our trust on emotional experiences or glorious moments, God invites us to anchor our trust in his goodness. In his goodness. Uh, about 1,500 years after Moses came along, the true and better Moses, the one who didn't need to ask God, show me your glory, because he was God's glory in a person. His name was Jesus Christ. And Jesus showed us God's glory in these signs or, or miracles. Some of you remember from our sermon series this fall, uh, these signs connected to his glory. And, and that's what most people around Jesus wanted more of. Do another glory trick, Jesus. But as John's gospel progressed, what did we see? We saw a shift from, from God's glory being manifested in miracles to God's glory being manifested through Jesus' teaching about who he was, and then ultimately his glory wasn't shown anywhere as clearly as it was at the cross, which was the work of God's in which he gave us the pinnacle display of his goodness. There at the cross, Jesus was pierced. You might say he was pierced like, like, a, like a crevice is dug into a rock. pierced for you and me. He experienced the consequence that should have been ours to experience, all so that we could experience healing in his wounds. So that's, that's where we go to be sheltered from the holy God we met last week to the crevice of the rock. And that rock is Christ. We hide ourselves in his wounds and find ourselves able to experience a mediated 
experience of God's presence there, mediated in such a way that we can bear it and to live to tell everyone about it, about how we found shelter from God in God. You know, we can't say that there's nothing fear-inducing about God. What we read last week was true. As the beavers famously say in, about Aslan and the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, is he safe? No. Of course he isn't safe. But what do they say next? But he's good. If you're here this morning and you don't yet know him, run to that rock and take shelter in Jesus as he encloses you in his love expressed in his wounds for you. It's a love that will protect you from the white-hot holiness of God. God is so good that he's provided a way for you to be rescued. You can accept that rescue just by telling him so today. And for those of us who do know him, two things. One, let's trust that he's good, even when we don't see the glory the way we want to see it. And two, let's pursue the good this week as he defines it, not how we would imagine it ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, like Moses, we face situations in which we, uh, it, it seems too much. It seems like how could we possibly do it? How could it be possible that you're really going to deliver us like you say you will? And so as much as we want your glory to show up in those moments, and we do, we do pray that it does, we do ask, show us your goodness because we know that's what we need. Remind us of your goodness, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you are compassionate and gracious, that you are abounding in steadfast love, that you're slow to anger, and that you will never, ever, ever let any of us down. In Jesus' name, amen.